1: Hello and welcome along to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Matt Addison with Sean Bradbury and Davyton, I believe Charlotte Coates both with me to talk Newcastle United and Tottenham Hotspur plus all the latest on the situation of the Premier League and whether or not the matches that have not yet been postponed might be in the next few days. We are recording this live on YouTube so if you do want to ask any questions stick those into the comments section as we go. And if there are any good ones at the end of the show, we will come to those and try and give you our answers as best we can. Let's start, though, Sean, with the game against Newcastle, which happened last night. I believe you were there like myself. It was relatively comfortable, at a Joe Shelby screamer aside. Is that a a fair assessment of the game, do you think?
0: Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I think when I first came out, kind of thought it was quite quite an ordinary game, but, you know, peppered with a few extraordinary moments. But to be honest, the more I've reflected on it, the more impressive, I think it seems in retrospect, and I think a big part of that is is the enforced changes. Um, you know that the fact that Klopp did admit in the afterwards that, I like think he said t- two of the guys who had had the COVID issues would have started. So I'm presuming by that he's talking Fabinho and Van Dyke, You know, you wouldn't have thought it would be anything different than that. And I just think that, in hindsight, puts a bit of a different complexion on it. You know, because you've got your stand standard number six, Henderson, who is still good in that position. Obviously, you know, he's done it many many times to Liverpool, but. I think really this season, you've seen the differences and deficiencies when he's there compared to Fabinho. And you've seen how good he is further forward in that number eight position. So that made the difference. And then obviously there's no doubt that Van Dijk's the main man at the back for for all that Matip has been good this season. So that double absence, I think, really, really franked the form and the performance of Kanate, who other than Trent Alexander-Arnold and maybe even it's 50-50, I would have had as, as my man of the match, you know, is a guy who's only recently come to the club who's still only made a handful of starts, and then a few hours before kickoff, presumably he's told either you know that the guy who's next to you and the guys in front of you are different people, or, or it might even have been that he wasn't due to start and it was going to be Van Dyke and Matip. So, yeah, I thought that was a, a very impressive aspect of it. And just just in general, you know, Liverpool started well, had a really good first half hour, bar the, the odd kind of aberration, and, and you know, clearly the, the goal for Newcastle, which. Was a bit of a freak thing. It was one of those terrible clearances that that go centrally. You know that Liverpool have a you not know, a habit, but occasionally they shot themselves in the foot doing that. I remember, there was a was there a four nails goal fairly recently where Gomez just kind of headed it to him in the centre, and he and he banged it in. You know, you always run a risk, don't you? If that's that's how you clear it, that it that it doesn't go well. And I think they were the the kind of ordinary phase of the game was probably from like thirty five to seventy when there was a little bit of nervousness and perhaps you know the the crowd weren't like sure that Liverpool were going to hang on, but realistically, you know, there there, there wasn't really much doubt by by the end of it, you know, that made those couple of changes, didn't he, Firmino and Keita came on, really freshened things up. Both looked sharp and and quite promising for the weeks ahead, certainly in the case of Firmino, who who will still be here. Um, So, yeah, there was a little drop in intensity, but I think it it showed all the hallmarks of a lot of the wins recently where Liverpool have done good work late on and, and they've just looked... Completely on top by like 75, and then you know there's minimal resistance or threat from the opposition. You know, I know that I know Villa was it took a penalty to get the breakthrough, but that came late. Liverpool could have added to it afterwards. The Wolves winner, obviously, Divock was very late, but Liverpool were really knocking on the door. There was a proper barrage in the, the 15 20 that came before that. There was late goals of Goodison, late goals against Arsenal. I, I just think this this team, what's so impressive at the moment, is they're, they're turning the screw at the right times. and I think you're seeing teams just look so tired in in the last 20, maybe even half an hour against Liverpool. So, yeah, I think, you know, what was a game that I thought was punctured by moments of quality in reality probably reflected, you know, just how good this Liverpool team is uh, at the moment and, and hopefully going forward into the season. Absolutely. Yeah. A really convincing performance,
1: really, in terms of, of the attacking Charlotte. Another three goals on the board. Mohamed Salah now has equaled Jamie Vardy's record. 15 consecutive games, I think it is, where he's either scored or assisted in the Premier League. The only thing seemingly that can stop him from doing that is having to go off to the African Cup of Nations.
2: Yeah, well, he's obviously gone up another level, hasn't he? Well, he came, first season hit. Forty-yard goals, and you're thinking everyone's calling him a one-season wonder. So every season, does it again, and uh, he, like I said, he's just gone up another. He's gone up another level this season, and he's now he's the man who, like in the past, Mane was doing it, Firmino was doing it, and it's still like But Salah has just he's he's now the man that Liverpool look to when things are tough, like the City game. First half, we were lucky to go in at nil 0 but then. Um Sally just does he just does magical things, doesn't he? Where you don't like he's just got that special talent where only a handful of players in the world can can do what he does. And that's why the wins titles, stuff like that, when you need something from a player and he pops up and does it. But like you said, him going away, um, like whatever happened for the African Cup of Nations, don't think anyone knows at the moment. But um him going away it could be it could be a huge thing for Liverpool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was that chance that he missed with his right foot in the first half, and a few people just turned around and, and said, "Oh, he, he's actually he's actually missed one," which is <laughs> sort of sign of, of just how good he's been so far this season, Sean. But I think um, we should probably talk about Ibrahim Akanate as well. I mean, you, you mentioned him before. Obviously, comes in for for Virgil Van Dijk. How impressive do you think he was, and, and how well has he settled into this Liverpool team?
0: Oh, hugely well. I mean, you know, I, I can't remember the stats off the top of my head, but, you know, I think virtually every game he started, Liverpool have won and they kept clean sheets in a lot of them. And the thing, I've said this on a previous pod, but the thing that's impressed me most about him is, is the changes of personnel around him. You know, he's done it with different centre-arves, with different number sixes. He's played at both sides of, of centre-back with different full-backs next to him. And, um, you know, and, and, and here he was in the in the Van Dijk position and and really excelling. And I, I think it's, you know, he's played a mixture of teams. He's played home and away. And he just looks, game on game, more and more settled and more and more a front foot Liverpool defender. And, like, last night was, was interesting because I suppose it was a different kind of test, wasn't it? You know, Newcastle are not the most adventurous team, are they? But I thought he dealt with um, Sam Maximan pretty well. You know, like, won virtually all of his duels. Um, and then, you know, there were, there were pockets of different tests for him, wasn't there, as Newcastle changed shape and threw Wilton on towards the end and tried to do different things. But... Yeah, I just think he's it, it it's there's so many things that are different this season compared to last season, so many kind of wrongs that Liverpool have righted, but the purchase of him and the fact that we're now talking about, you know, Nat Phillips potentially leaving in January. There's even been questions in a couple of press conferences ago. Klopp was asked about the prospect of Joe Gomez leaving on loan, which which something, you know, eighteen months ago you would have thought, Well, wow, there's no chance he's he's one of Liverpool's kind of first choice starting centre halves, but Matip's been so good this season, they've managed his minutes so well. Van Dijk obviously, you know, got, got his current issue um, and, and missed the game and may miss some more, but we'll have to see how that pans out. But Canasse has just, I think you've got to say it's close to, to like the dream start to Liverpool career, especially in the position he's in where, you know, there's been so many different questions asked of him and, and he's answered them all you know, pretty much flawlessly.
1: I think it's fair to say, Charlotte, that he probably had a, a little bit more to do yesterday than he would have done had Fabinho been there. Obviously, we know the the reasons why he wasn't in that team. How much of a big miss do you think Fabinho is or, or potentially could be if he is out of, of the next couple of matches?
2: Oh, it's a massive miss. Like He's he's in that list of players where, that handful of players along with your Van Dijk, your Trents, your Salas, and the goalkeeper really where, if they're missing for a prolonged period of time, then Liverpool don't have, it's not that they don't have the squad capable of dealing with it, it's just the fact that they are that good. Like, who can you bring in as a replacement for Fabinho who's willing to sit on the bench for 35 games in a season um, and come in and do a job as well as he does? It's it's just not going to happen. Um, but yeah, he just, he, he offers that protection in front of the back four and, allows the likes of Henderson who's been linking so well in them triangles down the right and then Tiago as well has formed like he had an iffy game yesterday did Tiago give him the ball away at times um but having Fabinho next to him they've obviously formed that partnership where like they've not they've not lost a game. I think they won every game other than one draw. So he just he's one of them players where He probably gives confidence to the rest of the side to go and do what they want to do and express themselves going forward because they know if they get caught on the ball or misplace a pass or whatever, then he's there to mop up behind them.
1: Yeah, there's certainly no one quite like Fabinho in that Liverpool squad. Uh, Alongside him in the the midfield, Sean, Jurgen Klopp was really full of praise for for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain today, which I thought was was really interesting in his press conference. What have you made of of him lately? Obviously, we know the the situation with his contract. He's got about 18 months left. He's got a big few months ahead of him to kind of prove himself. But judging from what Jurgen Klopp said today, he couldn't really be doing much more to convince him that a new deal is is probably going to happen.
0: No, I think he's been good. That there was there was a phase, perhaps a dozen or so games ago, where I was a little bit concerned for him, and, and he looked quite leggy when he came back into the side. But it, it, you certainly can't fault the energy and industry he's shown for Liverpool. And you know he is. I know when he came to the club, part of it was because he wanted to have more more appearances in that central position. You know he wasn't getting that where he was previously. But you know he, he does okay, doesn't he? When when he's when he switched around, and I know it didn't perfectly go to plan against Villa in terms of having him in that number nine position but he put a good shift in I thought at least for the hour he was there he didn't lead the line in the natural sense that Firmino or Jota can but you know he he gives us all and that's kind of all you can ask for I I would say though that if I was him I, I know obviously the African Cup of Nations is coming up as we've already said and the flash we saw of Naby Keita towards the end of the game might only be a flash you know there could legitimately only be a couple more games before he, he goes away for that tournament. So in January, you probably have to say there will be more opportunities for Oxlade-Chamberlain. But I think the way that Kater started the season and the way that Henderson's played when he's been further forward in that number eight position, the kind of snapshots we saw of Harvey Elliott before his cruel injury, uh, you know, it, it doesn't work as bluntly as it at Liverpool. It's it horses for courses. There's always rotation. But I think Oxley chamberlain is arguably below all them in the pecking order for, for a number eight despite how well he, he has done in recent games. I think the one thing you'd have to look at is is perhaps lack of output, you know, like that a lot of those guys, you know, Henderson's been doing it, Keita was doing it early on, we know that Elliot can do it there. They're providing that little bit more um, in terms of, of, of goals and assists. And that's one area where you question Ox a little bit. And there was a couple of times last night where he got the ball, it was like a, you know, not quite a three on three, but he was, he was bursting forward with it and, didn't quite get his head up in time. I think he, he almost wants to have a direct contribution, whereas in those occasions, you know, looking up and seeing one of the wingers peeling off and trying to get the ball to them would have been the right call. But you know, you you can't knock him too much. He's he's, he's done he's done what's required of him in recent weeks, and you know, he's he's you can't argue with the fact that he's been part of this run that Liverpool have had since West Ham, where they've 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 done so well and, and won virtually every well they haven't won every game haven't they since then? So yeah, I, I think. He could be very happy with his work for now, but there is still that lingering concern about, uh, bluntly, where where he is in the squad hierarchy and midfield. But this period now has proved that there will be opportunities for him, and maybe he's just got to do that a little bit more by the end of the season to to really take hold of them
1: yeah it's uh, approaching that time of his career as well isn't it where it's a big decision for him in the summer and not just you know for him for for the club and for Klopp and and everyone else involved as well to to have a think about but at the other end of of the spectrum almost even though he is quite experienced at this point Trent Alexander-Arnold was another one Charlotte that Jurgen Klopp was really full of of praise for obviously goals like the one that he scored yesterday help but there's a lot more to his game than that and I thought it was really interesting actually and I don't know whether this came across as, as much on the television as it did inside the ground but he seemed to to be, to be taking up a really central position he almost was playing in midfield obviously that's a conversation we've had plenty of times about whether that's something for him but from his, his usual position at right back it, it really did stand out against Newcastle that he was really inside really sort of probing from that central position is is that the next evolution do you think of, of Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and how well can Liverpool get him to play that role
2: yeah I think I think so I actually I'd I did mention that yesterday when I watched the game that I think it was just early on he was just walking around in the centre circle um, and it reminded me a bit of when uh, Barcelona played against Arsenal in the Champions League and they just completely outclassed him and Dani Alves was just running up and down the middle of the pitch and we all know how good he was. Um, but yeah, I think it's tough one because obviously we know what Trent can do from the right from right back and the time he gets on the ball Obviously, you pick the ball up in centre mid and people are on you. You're having to turn, you're receiving the ball with we'll you back to play a lot of the time, whereas Trent's picking it up in that position and he can see the whole pitch, so he probably already knows what he's going to do before he gets the ball. Um, but I feel like him kind of having the freedom to go and dictate the game, how he sees fit, um, is probably the way forward for him. And, that, and I feel like that's what's happening this season. He's taking it on like on himself to move into positions where he feels that he can affect the game better. Um, like just look where his goal came from. He was left, top left of the pitch. Um, so if he's doing stuff like that, like his assists this season, is he on seven already? So he's, I think he's already equaled his goals and assists for last season. And we're still, we're not even in 2022 yet. So he's just, he's going up levels and levels and uh, 22 years old it's just it's scary really to see how good he can be
1: yeah, I don't think anyone's created more big chances this season. I'm sure I read that earlier on for, for Trent Alexander-Arnold. So certainly getting back to, to the real top levels that we know he can produce. We'll move on to, to Tottenham very shortly, Sean. But Jürgen Klopp was asked about the situation with postponements and, and such like, given the, the current circumstances. He's been very vocal about listening to experts as well over the last sort of few days. I mean, it's it's really great to see him speaking out on this sort of thing. I think it's it's really promising for Liverpool to, to have this kind of, of leader. It's it's not the first time we've said that about Jurgen Klopp, but it really does sort of just show what what type of a, a man and, and a character and, and how well he fits into to Liverpool and, and the whole sort of philosophy. Really, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely, you know, it, it's people have joked in the past when he's kind of revealed his political persuasions and when certain things have happened that you know he'd be a better leader of the country than than the guy that we we have and. Um, well, yeah, I'm. I'm not even sure that some people are joking when they say that. You know, he does have, and it's very honest and natural. I was going to say, has kind of almost the air of a bit of a statement when he when he speaks about these issues. But it, it's it's just genuine. It's just from the heart, isn't it? And I do think it's interesting that you know, without delving too far away away from football, but like the, the levels of vaccination and the kind of comfort with that, um, and 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 you know knowing that that's the right thing to do or thinking that that's the right thing to do. The levels of that within the Liverpool squad seem to be very, very high. And, you know, you, you've, I know Klopp's, he's been at pains a couple of times to say that he hasn't really had to like force out on the players or, or say that to them too much. But, you know, it, it, he said it in press conferences. He said it in his program notes um, yesterday about how he thinks getting a vaccination is, is a move for, you know, solidarity and togetherness. and And, you know, it's just the right thing to do. And personally, I think that's absolutely spot on. And yeah, I just think it's, you know, it's the right thing to say and and to do in a, in a wider kind of societal sense. But I also think a lot of the arguments he's put out there about like transparency and things like that. It's surely it's it's going to be quite helpful to Liverpool in a footballing sense as well. If you know more of the squad are protected and you know, and we said this last season, didn't we? That there'll be a point where COVID amongst professional footballers is almost like an injury. And you know, it's like right, well, they've got that; they'll be out for a couple of weeks. And and it's been strange this season because. Until this this latest variant, it kind of at times didn't really seem to be permeating the the bubble of football, if you like. Whereas suddenly now, what well, the last few weeks it has done. But all right, there's, there's clearly been a few issues and there are a few absences for the Newcastle game. But it does feel like there's just an acceptance within the Liverpool squad that getting your jab and all that is the right thing to do. And uh, yeah, it, it's 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 good to see that. In 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 much more importantly, in a, in a health perspective and in the wider sense, but could just be quite useful for them as well going forward. But, yeah, the, just the wider kind of situation around it is is a bizarre one. Um, you know, Klotsford asked a couple of times about whether he gr- agrees with Thomas Frank about having a circuit breaker, whether that's the right thing to do now. And it's so difficult to say, isn't it, really? Because the calendar for next year is already pretty crazy. You know, you've got uh, uh, the following season starts to touch earlier because the World Cups, you know, is next winter. So... You worry a little bit about the prospect of a fixture pileup, but then you know the, the the main priority now just has to be safety. So if if the Premier League do think that getting their house in order for a, for a week or so and taking another look at the calendar and making sure clubs are doing absolutely everything they can to make the players as safe and as protected as possible is the right thing to do, then you know it's got to be considered. But um yeah, hats off to Jurgen; he's 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 a shining light for all this, and you wouldn't expect any different. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can only sort of speculate over the next few weeks what might happen, Charlotte. I mean, it it does sort of feel, though, to me, like something has to happen. It it kind of had a bit of an air of inevitability last night that that might be the last time we see Liverpool. But we we just don't know, do we? It's it's still very much an open situation at this point.
2: Yeah, I feel like back in March 2020 when all this kicked off, that Atletico game, I mean, obviously it shouldn't have been played, Um, but last night didn't, it didn't feel like that as such because COVID's been here for a while and we know the situation and the Premier League have come out and said they're going to try and play the games as well as, well as they can, really. Um But it just seems like this weekend, going into the fixture list and Five games called off, and it just feels like this, like the Burnley Watford game the other night, where did they call it off? Like an hour before kick off or something. And Watford fans had travelled up from London, so it's just like like Klopp said, more transparency is needed because not just for the club, for the players and and the managers, but for the fans because they're travelling like they're travelling the country to find out an hour before kickoff when they've spent hundreds of pounds that the game's then called off so yeah it is but like like Klopp said though if you do a week like take a break for a week or two the cases is still there so it is a difficult thing to do because where do you fit the games in yeah,
1: it's a really difficult situation, isn't it? I know the, the World Cup is next year. The UEFA Nations League, I think, is going to happen between seasons. Quite how that's going to happen. I don't know, but it's a, a really sort of strange balancing act for, for the Premier League and, and one that they're going to have to think about really closely, I think, over the festive period. But... Assuming that things stay as they are now, as we're recording, Sean, it's Tottenham for Liverpool at the weekend. A Tottenham side that sits seventh, but have only played 14 times because of their own recent postponements. I mean, what have you you made of them this season? They've changed manager. They're seemingly struggling. They can't score a goal, but they're not really out of contention for the top four at the same time as all of that.
0: No, this is it. And obviously, their delayed games are racking up, so it's a bit of a kind of, False perspective, almost isn't it, on them where they are on the table. Um, it, it it's tricky to judge. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 been a strange one. I suppose you kind of concentrate on on the whole Harry Kane situation, which I guess was in part a handover from all the drama of last summer and you know would he stay, would he go, where would he end up? But that has been that's been the bizarre thing for me because you know think he's he's only scored one Premier League goal, hasn't he? And you know Son's still doing well for them. Absolute quality player. There's no doubt that uh, that he will do that. Um yeah, haven't really kind of kicked on yet um under Conte in the, in the way that you know you would thought they, they would do but i suppose it's it's difficult isn't it for for a side any side that's underneath that the top three as it currently stands they've just got such a job on because it you know it, it's almost exaggerated how how much those teams are already pulling away i think you know we, we've spoken on pods about the the, the balance of power and the, and the title race and how we expect it to go and Everyone, I think, pretty much said it would be between those three teams, and they'd expect them to pull away a little bit. But I think the pressure that everyone under them faces it, is immense, and you're probably seeing a little bit of that in action with Tottenham because it, it is, or you know, it almost already looks as blunt as you're fighting for for one place underneath City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. You know, and and that's that's pretty difficult, isn't it? When there's all that that entails along with it in terms of um, qualifying for the Champions League, the revenue, you know, add add to, add to the fact that we've. Just gone through COVID and, and that's decimated club finances, and it's kind of even more crucial. There, there must be so much of that in those clubs where you know that the owners and the board are whispering the managers here of, of how crucial it is. And just looking at it now, you know the, the gap between Chelsea and Arsenal is um, is eight points, but then you've got between Arsenal and in, in, in fourth and and Wolves in eighth, there's only a five point gap. And you know you've got I think for for any of the London sides as well, it's it's really interesting, and especially in the Spurs perspective because you've got two fairly local rivals who are, you know, let's forget Chelsea, who are, who, are, who are a cut above, but Arsenal have got their act together to a certain extent. West Ham, you know, a bit of a surprise package last season and have, have broadly maintained the the form and the kind of discipline and the effectiveness from set pieces that have seen them rise up. So I think that puts a bit more of an, an acute pressure on Spurs as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a strange one. I think specifically, like, looking ahead to the weekend, um, you know, I've, I've heard a few people say that... Uh, they feel that it's almost a case of spares being, but well, could be quite you know fresh for this one. But I'm not sure I quite see it like that because you know by Sunday it'll be what it'll be the 19th of uh, December. They've missed three games, so they, they've not played the game. Albeit they comfortably beat Norwich, but they've not played the game since the 5th of December. So that's essentially a kind of whole international break with your squad being walloped by COVID and certain players potentially still recovering from that. Others who have had to isolate training disrupted, you know, the guys who are back and even the ones who maybe haven't had it, how much time have they been able to spend on the training ground, how much tactical work have they been able to do with all of their teammates. So I think even with the couple of absentees that it seems Liverpool will still have going into the weekend and you know, who knows that the list could increase there. I think if the game goes ahead, unless Liverpool are missing, you know, five or six or seven first team players, I think it's advantage Liverpool, you know, Spurs are still in. Kind of transitional mode of discovery, really, aren't they? With this huge pressure about, can you get fourth place this season hanging over them? So, yeah, I'd I'd be quite confident for Liverpool going into Sunday. I think Spurs will, by the end of the season, get their act together a little bit, but it might not happen anytime soon. Yeah, they've still got danger
1: men in Harry Kane and heung Son and, and players like that, Charlotte. Even if they've not scored loads of goals, they do have the potential to do that. In the past, though, it's probably been a lot more apprehension from a Liverpool perspective about going there. This weekend, if the game does go ahead, it doesn't really feel to me like there's much to be scared of. Is is that sort of a, a view that you'd share on?
2: Yeah, I mean, the form, the form Tottenham have shown this season is it's not really one to be intimidated by if you're Liverpool because the 3 sides City, Chelsea, Liverpool are just... It seems as though these sides, like your Arsenal's I remember when after the international break when Arsenal came to Anfield and had they won four or five on bounce or something and Liverpool had just come off a loss and but once Liverpool turned up, it was only going one way, that result, because there's just such a gulf in in the quality of the sides. It's just you feel like Sunday's result, even if there's no Van Dijk, no Fabinho, which of course will be a miss and will give Tottenham confidence, but you just feel that if Liverpool turn up and play to eighty percent of what they're capable of, you just you just know that Liverpool are going to win. Like they've got the the experience they have, they've won the two the two previous games at that stadium. So just the experience, really. Though I think I feel that they just know how to win games in these tight these tight fixture lists. They just keep rolling on in December, where it's just result after result and keeping pace with City we've been there and we've done it so it just seems it's like almost inevitable that it's just going to be one of them again
0: the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo
1: absolutely it does sort of feel inevitable without wanting to jinx them ahead of sunday but uh, just before we get to to picking our teams then for the game we did ask for your questions a little bit earlier on in the show as we are recording this live there has been a a couple that have come in so i'll send one of them over to you sean Uh, lucas says are you worried that liverpool will lose ground for the title race during afcon assuming of course that, that afcon takes place. How much of a concern is that? I suppose the fact that Roberto Firmino is is back now is probably a timely boost for them with regards to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To be honest, I I was never hugely concerned by it because in in the first place, really, because, you know, OK, there were questions maybe last summer when we knew that this was coming about the depth Liverpool had an attack. But when the fixture list came out, I think that was the the first point where you thought, well, hang on, how how bad really is this going to be? Because, you know, you'd have an FA Cup game um, and then Brentford and Palace where the best will in the world. I think the Palace game could be tricky. And, you know, in fairness to Brentford, they have, they have held Liverpool to, to a draw this season, albeit a bit of a crazy game At Liverpool were ahead in twice and, you know, should, should really have won. But there are two sides where you think by this point of the season, and especially after quite a gruelling festive fixture list, albeit one which has now been COVID, COVID hit, I think playing playing teams like that in January is is no bad thing, you know, when they, they're just looking for a bit of respite and, and it doesn't come and suddenly Liverpool turn up and it, it's just absolutely not what you want. But a lot of Liverpool's fringe performers uh, are looking so good at the moment. I mean, as you said, Firmino's back, saw small glimpses of him against Newcastle, looked quite sharp. We'll we'll see how that plays out over the coming weeks, but he's just a class actor and he? he's a top operator and there's no doubt that he'll do well in January. You know, Jot is still going to be here. He's the he's the joint second highest goal scorer in the league, isn't he? Behind Salah, Um, and and has just looked, apart from his Wolves miss, he's just looked excellent really all all season. So there's that. There's there's a rigi who'll turn up and decide to score a wealthy in one of these games, no doubt as well. And I suppose you know the the worry if let's say it all does go ahead, the worry is what happens around that Chelsea game. But you know, look, look as look at what's happened around Chelsea in recent weeks. You know, I think they've. They've been unlucky. They've still had games. I mean, you know, when they played Everton there, the the kind of stats, the XG and all that, suggested a very dominant performance. But that's not how it turned out. You know, you've got to put the ball in the back of the net and and get it past Jordan Pickford on this occasion, and it was one-one. So uh, th- that game is a little bit of a concern. But obviously, whatever happens with regards to where the players can go to Afcon if it goes ahead at that point, Chelsea will also be affected. It won't just be Liverpool. And uh, you know, I do think a Liverpool front line that contains. Firmino and Jota and you are building from there albeit without Mane and Salah is, is still a strong one and again you know fixtures and COVID dependent midfield and, and backline are going to be very very strong so yeah I, I, to answer the question my, my concern is, is, is pretty minimal um, and I would only caveat that by saying you know we just don't know how it's going to pan out do we whether there will be more absentees and forced through coronavirus positives or, or, or other reasons but as it stands right now I think Liverpool will be looking at four points minimum from those league games. And, you know, if, if they don't care, past through in the FA Cup uh, with, with whatever team they'd be able to put out, then there's, there's bigger problems than just January.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's still plenty of games to, to come to before then. The, the other question we've had submitted, Dylan Lewis, with this one is a, an interesting one that I'll give to, to you, Charlotte. Who do you feel has made a biggest step up in quality under Jurgen Klopp, Trent Alexander-Arnold or Mohamed Salah?
2: Mm-hmm. oh difficult that because Trent obviously come through the academy so I feel like it was harder for him um as a kid you coming into the Liverpool side where you've been all your life and Scouser as well so you've got you carry that expectation just from the home fans like willing you to do well um yeah. Yeah, he, he was spoken about, though, were he, Trent? As a youngster, I remember Gerard's mentioned him in, in one of his books, saying, like, look out for him, almost. But, oh, possibly, I, prob, I would probably say Salah, to be honest, because his time at Chelsea, when, I mean, he was young, come, did he come to the country at 22? Um, from Basel, so was was tough for him there. Obviously it didn't work out at Chelsea, didn't really get much of a chance. Like look at your De Bruyne's Lukaku back in the day. Um so Tal has gone away, kind of rebuilt his confidence, worked on his game, and then obviously since coming to Liverpool, he's gone to another level. He's just an absolute machine, goal scoring machine where in his time at Chelsea he would have never have predicted that. Like I mean when when we signed him it was always what's he do he was rubbish at Chelsea whereas Trent has come through the system and it was the there was always a hope that he'd do well I mean obviously he's been a lot better than what people thought because you could never predict that he'd go on to be the best right back in the world but I feel like Salah what he's doing and he's the best player in the world right now so who would have predicted that?
1: Yeah, certainly a a tricky question that one. We'll try and pick an easy one for you next time you come on. But just before we finish, then we'll pick our teams for the game, assuming that it goes ahead, of course. And I think for the purposes of this, we should probably assume that the same players who played against Newcastle are still available for Sunday. But you can talk us through your, your suggestions as we sort of go along. We do assume, Sean, that Alison Becker will be in goal, but would you make any changes to the back four, do you think?
0: I suppose that the one difficult element of of this as well is is whether there'll be a game in midweek because I think if there was going to be that's due to be the, the the Carabao game, isn't it against against Leicester? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if if we got any movement on that ahead of time, I, I would possibly I would reconsider the Robertson Simicass uh, situation. But I mean, yeah, you're definitely looking at Trent Matip and Kanate um barring some kind of miracle with with Van Dyke being available again. But that doesn't sound like that'll be the case. I would play I would possibly play Simicast if we suspect or know that there will be another game in midweek just for the purposes of rotation. But if if the game on the 22nd is is definitely off, I think you just play Robertson again because you know yeah, you look you look pretty good and ultimately he is still the first choice fullback, isn't he? But but well, yeah, just some interesting dynamics not just for Sunday, but kind of going ahead into this little period now. But yeah, that, that's how I'd play it. Yeah, it's really hard to to plan ahead, isn't it? Particularly
1: at Christmas time, just in a, a normal year. Forget at this sort of moment in time, Charlotte. Are you going to go with the, the same back four as well? I think Ibrahim Akonaté gets another game for me. He was he was really excellent last night.
2: Yeah, I feel like it'll... Obviously, if Van Dyke isn't available, then I feel like there's no real reason to change the back four because... The end of the day, this game on Sunday is more important than the uh, the League Cup game, so I feel like Simicass, Joe Gomez, almost certainties to start if that Leicester game goes ahead. Um, but yeah, Robertson doesn't look leg- leggy. Trent, I mean, who can you bring in like, instead of him anyway in a in a tough Premier League game? Um, and then obviously Canate and Matip, they didn't put a foot wrong, so why change it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the time to bring Gomez back into the fold will probably be on Wednesday. But again, we don't know exactly if that game is going to go ahead at this moment in time. So we will see. We'll move on to the the midfield, though. I think I'm going to bring Naby Keita in for this one, Sean. I think possibly Thiago might be time for for him to to sit this one out. Possibly it might be one for for James Milner, I think, as well against Tottenham. It it just sort of feels like there might be a couple of changes. And if those changes are there, it it might be in the centre of the pitch.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree on bringing Kater back, but I'd I'd look to do my more fulsome rotation in in midweek if it happens, and obviously if it doesn't happen, then you know, you don't have to rotate. Everyone's got their feet up. So presuming again that there's no Fabinho, I would have Henderson Henderson deeper. I'd, I'd persist with Thiago because I think, like we said earlier, you know he, he wasn't great last night, but a lot of that was rightly, but but you know focused on the, the couple of occasions where he gave the ball away one. Obviously, very crucially, that led to a goal. But thought his general play, he was good. And, and you know, he, he just did in a good vein of form all round. So, yeah, have Henderson, Kate and Thiago from the off. But I agree. I think, you know, we saw a little Milner cameo against Newcastle. But I think if, if things are going well, he might get a little bit more time uh, coming off the bench for this one.
1: Charlotte, who are you going to pick for your your midfield three?
0: I think Ox will miss
2: out. Uh, I think Kate will come back in because... He's fresh and he looked he looked good last night when he came on. Um, It's nothing against Ox. It's just Kate has looked like like as as we said earlier. Kate is just above him in the pecking order and now he's back fit and he's come on a couple of times. Um, I think it's time to start him and then Henderson will be in the six and I think yeah I think it'll be Thiago again.
1: Interesting. the the front three is is interesting as well. I think Sean. There's obviously a couple of, of different options. mohammed Salah got a little bit of a rest that he probably wasn't particularly happy with last mm-hmm. night against Newcastle, but I'm sure he'll start this one. Who are your, your two others next to him,
0: though? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it, to fully assess the the condition of Firmino. But it but it does feel like Klopp's taking his time with easing him back in. And now that he has, you know, had a, a few minutes against Newcastle, I'd I'd look to start Firmino. I'd probably say Firmino flanked by Salah and Giotta, which obviously isn't normally where we see Giotta putting him in the Mane position. But yeah, you know, I think Mane's been a little bit unfortunate in recent weeks, but you'd have to say he hasn't been as incisive in front of goal as as the other lot. Um, So yeah, I think, and and this game on Sunday, for all I would be fairly confident about Liverpool getting a result in, you know, you don't know, do you? It, it It could be a tight one, and Liverpool have just come off the back of a, of a game in which they've scored three, but there have been games where recently they've had to win by one goal, you know, two 1-0s in the last handful of games. So if it was a tight one and it came down to it, you'd certainly want Jota and Salah on the pitch as you're probably two most reliable marks at the moment. So, yeah, Mane misses out and I don't think that's the worst thing for him. A little bit of, of, of rest before AFCON if, if it does take place, because obviously he'll be a key man for his country there. So, yeah, might be the safest thing to do all round.
1: Yeah, I think I'm right in saying it's seven games without a goal now for Sadio Mane, so a little bit of a, a drought for him. Possibly a rest might do him good, Charlotte, or are you going to play him from the start?
2: I agree with Sean. I think I think taking him out of the firing line will be a good thing for him. And obviously, Jot is in, He's in great form, scoring goals, and Firmino looking sharp. He always seems to do well against Spurs as well, does Firmino, so I think starting him and Obviously, Mane. You've got him from the bench. If if we need need to bring him on, and I can't see Firmino playing ninety. So, um, being able to bring Mane on, and like like Sean said, having Salah and Jota on the pitch, if if a goal is required, they're the two leading scorers and scorers in the Premier League. So, I feel like they resting Jota for or well, bringing Firmino in for Jota. It doesn't really make sense because. Just a scoring man is not so just there, There's the change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Go with the the players in form makes a lot of sense with that in mind. Sean, what do you reckon the scoreline might be?
0: Well, I think I think Liverpool sneak another one nil. Um, I don't see, as we said before, you know, too much threat all over the pitch from from spares and yeah. Hopefully, a game they can get on top of, get a goal in, and then love to control.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0, I think. I don't think it's going to be loads of goals in it. I think it'd be relatively tight, but I'm back in Liverpool. Charlotte, what do you reckon it might be?
2: I think 2-0 as well.
1: Excellent stuff. Wins all round, clean sheets all round. I'm sure Liverpool would certainly take that, but that just about brings us to the end of this Uh, of today's podcast I should say. Thanks to Sean Bradbury and to Charlotte Coates for joining me and for you at home too for watching and listening as ever. I'm sure you know by now that we'll have the coverage of the Tottenham game and the developments that take place around that across the Echo, Liverpool.com and Blood Red and we'll be back on Monday with the next episode of this particular podcast to discuss that and preview the Carabao Cup clash with Leicester City, assuming that that one goes ahead. Until then though, it's goodbye for now.